This is Cruise Radio. Cruise Radio is brought to you in part by TripInsurance.com. Travel insurance done right by the people who know travel insurance. Get a quote today at TripInsurance.com. Broadcasting from the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida, this is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. On the road this week, yeah, doing it from, um, well, I'm in uh, Green Valley, Utah, doing some of the national parks and Goblin Valley State Park over the next few days before I make my trek back home. Stuck in another snowstorm last night and uh, just outside of Denver around Vail, so that was fun. Uh, some white knuckle action there, but uh, I think I'm getting used to it at this point. Stuart Sheeran, the cruise guy, is on the show coming up later on. We're going to talk and kind of unpack all of the... Um, the, I even hate even talking about it because it seems like we're just it's all we're talking about, but like the CDC, the lawsuits and all that stuff. He's going to break that down for us. But first, uh, we're going to go in easily into the CDC talk with Richard Sims. He's going to answer some listener questions that we've been receiving over the past several months. Hey, Richard. Hey, Doug. So the first question here is which line is the best for first time cruisers? You know, we get that all the time, right out of the gate, we're starting with a question that we can't actually answer, mm -hmm. at least not specifically. And here's why. You know, there are a lot of people who think that every cruise line is the same. And if you just get on a cruise ship, you know, you're going to have the same basic experience. But that's definitely, definitely not true. You know, for example, if you just decide, I'm going to book myself on a Disney cruise and you get on that ship and you're like, hey, can somebody point me toward the casino? You're going to be wildly disappointed because there is no casino on a Disney ship. So the reason we can't really tell you which ship or which line is right for you is because it depends a lot on who you are, who you're traveling with, what you're looking to get out of the experience, because every one of those questions could point you in a different direction. Now, if you just jumped on a random cruise ship, are you going to have a good time? Of course you are. I mean, the first time I went on a cruise, my very first ship was the Norwegian Gem. It was an overnighter. I knew nothing really about cruising. I guess I sort of had the love boat in my head, and I had an amazing time. It could have been any ship because I had no expectations. I really just wanted to get on a ship and get out of town. So like you were on Norwegian Jim, it was your first cruise. Do you think that's why you have such an affinity towards NCL? I think my main reason for that is probably because they sail more ships out of New York City, which is mm -hmm. my home port. And so it's just been convenient for me. But yeah. it is probably also true. I think if you get on any ship and you have a really great experience on that first ship, not only are you more inclined to jump back on that same line, but at that point, the loyalty program, you've already got some form of benefit because, you know, even even just even if it's just like you're going to leave a bottle of water in your room, you're getting something extra and they're making you offers and they're probably emailing you with offers because you've been on their line. So Unless you had a really bad experience on that trip, it is probably true that whatever the first ship you jumped on, you might have sort of a natural tendency to lean back toward that again. Yeah, and I'm also I'm thinking about in my head here, like, okay, so my first cruise when I was a kid was on Carnival Fantasy, and I've kind of uh, have done a lot of Carnival cruises since then. But I think it was because that first experience I had on Carnival. Now I've done every cruise line out there, like as a, we've done. Royal Caribbean, Norwegian, Celebrity Holland America, and all this, but I think I naturally gravitate towards Carnival because that's what, like, it was I, those memories, you know, from when I was a kid, and it brings back, like, maybe that inner kid in me. Very much so. And there's also the fact that, you know, 
I think you can't discount that we're drawn to things that make us comfortable. For example, I am very comfortable in the carnival, Norwegian, Royal Caribbean sort of genre. Like that class of ships, that brand of ships, that level of comfort. Mm-hmm. I get a little bit more nervous when you move up toward like, you know, Princess or um, even Holland America. There's, you know, there. I don't want, I hesitate to use the word classier, but, you know, they're a little more upscale. Mm-hmm. And I tend to be somebody who always wants to be in jeans or in my bathing suit or, you know, yes, I'll, I'll dress up to go to formal night, but I don't really want to feel like I have to be dressed up around a ship. And so my perception is that these mainstream brands are the ones that are like most in my comfort zone. And this naturally leads us to our next question. What And we get this asked a lot lately, and I, I didn't realize this, but a lot of people, they are really, um, I guess, maybe misinformed about the whole travel agent and why should they use one. So let me ask you, should I use a travel advisor? Yes. And when I say travel advisor, it doesn't necessarily mean a travel agent. If you kind of poke around in your extended group of you know, family and friends, you probably have someone who is a huge cruise fan and they would love nothing more than to help you figure out, you know, which ship is the best for you to get on and which line. And they'll look at you and they'll be like, well, you know, you're a foodie and you really like different kinds of music. So maybe Holland America is a good ship for you to try. Or, you know, you like really casual and you just want to hang by the pool and watch, you know, fun contests and do trivia all day. So maybe Maybe Carnival is the right line for you. So a travel advisor can be someone in your family, but travel agents as well. I'm a big, big, big fan of travel agents. For one thing, it is in their best interest to make sure you get on the right ship for you. Because, you know, if you have a bad experience, you're not going to come back to them and book another cruise. They also will very often be able to throw you a little something extra. Like maybe they'll give you a little onboard credit or maybe they'll give you, you know, a meal in a specialty restaurant, something like that. But the biggest reason to use them is in order to help make sure, especially for a newbie, that you are getting exactly what you want. And they can also help you in other, you know, in other ways. Like, for example, the first time I went on a cruise, I had no idea what to book as far as a stateroom. You know, did I want an inside? Did I want a balcony? Did I want a suite? That kind of thing. And a travel advisor will really ask you all the right questions in order to make sure that you're not just on the right line, you're not just on the right ship. You know, they're they're, they're going to help you get every single thing right. Do you want late dining or early dining? They will walk you through. After a few cruises, you may very well be more like, you know, me and I know you, we're very comfortable with it. So we're like, oh, no, I can take care of this. I know exactly what to look for. I know I want a stateroom that's between, you know, that's sandwiched between staterooms above and staterooms below. So I'm not above a bowling alley or below a dance club or something. But that first time, you really want to make sure that someone is sort of guiding every step so that you have the best possible experience. And I will say, even like, you know, multiple cruises, I've been on a lot of sailings and I still use, I've been using Becky for almost a decade now, not every single cruise, but it's weird because during this whole COVID thing and, you know, as we start to get back up to sailing again, I've booked a couple of cruises. And again, I use Becky, my travel agent rather, for this because I'm not keeping up on every single cruise line policy, you know, what we need to do, what we need to upload, all this stuff. So it's good to have someone in your corner that is kind of doing that research for you. 
Well, it's also great because it's someone who you can ask questions and they will tell you, okay, here's the cancellation policy. They will make sure that you don't miss your final payment deadline. And if for some reason you do have to cancel or, you know, you have to make some kind of change, they will help you do that. And that is really kind of a relief. The one thing I would say is it's important to recognize there's a difference. You hear these terms used a lot. There's a difference between a travel agent or a travel advisor and a personal cruise consultant. Generally speaking, when we refer to personal cruise consultants, we're talking about people who work for the cruise line. So like, for example, I have a personal cruise consultant at Carnival. Shanna, she's amazing. I love her. And I call her directly. She knows me. She knows what my preferences are. You know, she'll immediately say, oh, no, you don't want that. Or here, let me steer you toward this. She will help me take care of every aspect of that cruise. The difference between her and, you know, for example, Becky is Shanna works for Carnival. Mm -hmm. She is only going to, you know, I can't call her and say, can you book me on the Norwegian Gem? Because she doesn't handle that. She is a personal cruise consultant for Carnival. So once you know, you know, like, like once you've been on a few different lines and you sort of know, okay, this is what I'm looking for. I definitely want to cruise on this cruise line. But I don't know that cruise line as well, so maybe I'll use a cruise consultant who does know specifically everything about that line. So that's that's the big difference. Um, travel agents can book you on pretty much anything. Personal cruise consultants are more for if you are looking on a specific ship or on a specific line. Another big question we get here is, is it worth it to pay for an upgrade? I've been getting a lot of emails from my agent asking if I want to upgrade because, and they're coming from Royal Caribbean, but I guess kind of like the, does Royal do the, I'm not familiar with this, does Royal do the bid for an upgrade like uh, like Norwegian does? You know, I'm not 100% sure of that either. That is something that Norwegian does, that if they have rooms available on a sailing that you're doing, and let's say you're booked on an inside And you're thinking about maybe I want to move up to a balcony or an ocean view. If they have rooms available, they will send out invitations for you to bid on those rooms. And you're bidding against other people, you know, and if you win it, then it's automatic and you get moved up and you have no control over where you're going to go. We've actually done stories on and whole shows on the bid to upgrade process. But as far as whether or not it's worth bidding on an upgrade, Again, that comes down to personal preferences. A lot of people say, and I think you're kind of of this mindset, for you, you're just going to like, you know, shower, shave, and sleep in that room. Mm -hmm. You're not really going to spend a lot of time in it. So for you, like an inside room or an ocean view room, you're fine with that. Me, I want the balcony. I want the view. So the thing to keep in mind with upgrades is they don't always happen. In fact, they're they're rarer, really, than ever. And you should always get the room that you are going to be happy in. You know, if you will not be happy in an inside room, do not book an inside room hoping that you will get an upgrade, whether it's by bidding or they call you or you get an email, because you might end up in the very room you booked. Probably, I would guess, probably 75, 80% of people wind up in the room that they booked. You know, uh, it's not like everybody is getting upgrades. If that were the case, then everybody would book an inside and like hope for the best. So you definitely want to make sure that whatever room you book is something you're comfortable with. Now, that said, I have, you know, bid for upgrades on Norwegian. Um, I haven't gotten any, but 
I always book a balcony and then I might bid for like to get in the Haven or for, you know, a nicer category, an upgrade in the category I'm in. I certainly bid. And the thing you want to make sure of is when you get an upgrade offer or when you're bidding to upgrade that you go online and you price it and you see, you know, everybody assumes a bid for an upgrade or buying an upgrade is going to be a bargain. That's not necessarily the case. You know, you might end up paying more than you would if you just flat out booked it online. So, you know, upgrades are something that if you want it, pursue it, but know what you're getting and know what you're paying for it. Okay. So I just pulled up my email from uh, my travel agent and it says, welcome to Royal Up. In just a few steps, you can submit a bid to upgrade your stateroom for your upcoming sailing. So like if I want to- That's right. They they did. They started like a a while after Norwegian started the bid to upgrade. Mm -hmm. They sort of created their own version of the program. They're both very, very similar. You place a bid, you may find out immediately, not immediately, but you may find out fairly soon if your bid was accepted. You may not find out until like two days before you sail. And it makes sense because the, the reason they do this is, let's say you're in an inside room which is generally speaking the cheapest category and they get a little money from you and you upgrade into a say an, a, a say a balcony room then they can then sell that inside room and it's generally easier to sell the lower price rooms than it is the higher price rooms so they're winning on two levels on the one hand you're already booked and they're getting a little extra money for from you to move you up a level meanwhile they can slide somebody into the room that you just vacated so it really makes sense for them on a business level all right our last question here richard what is your personal favorite cruise line or ship you have one well, you know, I think you and I would both agree that if we're on a ship, period, we're happier than my grandma at a bingo game. <laughs> but that said, I struggle with this question because my first instinct is to say, you know, Norwegian, because I've done the most of Norwegian. You know, I have good loyalty points with Norwegian. They say a lot of my home port. But then I think about like Carnival and, you know, my cruises on Carnival. I have had such a good experience and so much fun. And then I remember Royal Caribbean and the Anthem of the Seas and what an amazing time I had on there. And I can probably pick out individual experiences of each that are better. For example, Carnival has my all-time favorite bar, the Alchemy Bar. I love, 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 love the Alchemy Bar. You know, so if I'm picking a cruise based solely on where I'm going to do all my drinking, I might go with that. (laughs) But Norwegian, I love sort of the feel of their ships and I love the waterfront because I usually do the breakaway class. And even that, sometimes I like the big ships like a breakaway. Sometimes I like the small ships like Sunrise or Gem. So, and I feel like you're kind of the same probably. Like if you had to pick your favorite ship, what would it be? Gosh, I don't, these days, I don't know. Like probably 10 years ago, I would have told you like Carnival Breeze because it had like the the multiplex, you know, um, theater in there and it had the massive water park and all that stuff. But I, I can't even tell you that now, man. I think right now it's it's more towards like, who I'm traveling with, if I'm traveling with my girlfriend, if I'm traveling with just friends, if I'm traveling with family, like I think my favorite would depend on each one of those sectors, you know, those categories. Right. And that goes right back to what we were talking about at the top of the show mm-hmm. is 
when it comes to figuring out, you know, which ship and which line you want to go on. Like if I'm, if I decide I'm traveling with my mom, I'm probably going to take a different trip than I am if I'm traveling with my best friend. You know, if, if I'm traveling with kids, I'm much more likely to be like, Oh, I need to take them into consideration. Maybe this is the time to do a Disney cruise. Cause I've always wanted to do a Disney cruise, but I don't have kids. But if I'm traveling with people who have kids, then maybe this is the time to try it. So, yeah, I, I I think you and I are both the same there. Now, there are some people who, you know, are not only devoted to a line, but devoted to a ship. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a friend, Diane, who is not only a, a huge Norwegian fan, but I can't even tell you how many times she's done the Norwegian gem. You know, it's her first choice every time if they can, you know, get on Norwegian Gem, that is the ship they want to do. She always gets sad when it moves. Um, New York City is her home port, and she mm-hmm. hates when it moves to, a, to, like, you know, Puerto Rico. Sometimes it does part of the year in Puerto Rico because she knows she can't get on it. <laughs> so, you know, for me, like Carnival, I loved Carnival Sunshine. It's the only Carnival ship that has that amazing pool with the big waterfall. I could sit there all day long, and I like that size of ship. But... I can't wait to do Carnival Mardi Gras, which is going to be completely the opposite, you know, much bigger and much more bells and whistles. So, yeah, I think we fail miserably when it comes to the which is your favorite (laughs) ship question. (laughs) If you have any listener questions, drop us an email, Doug at CruiseRadio.net. That's D-O-U-G at cruiseradio.net. Always enjoy getting your listener emails and always enjoy talking about them on the show. We've been talking with staff writer Richard Sims. Richard, as always, my friend, thank you so much. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. The world is constantly changing. Your place for news is still the same. Online and on demand at cruiseradio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker from my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. Top industry stories from around the world and how they'll impact your next vacation every weekday morning on Cruise Radio News. There's a lot going on out there right now. It's kind of a hot mess, actually, between uh, the bickering and D.C. And then you have the CDC and, of course, the cruise lines wanting to get back into service but can't in the U.S. Not quite yet. So they're going offshore to restart operations like Royal Caribbean, Seabourn, Celebrity, uh, countless uh, companies are going offshore right now. Here to unpack this all is Stuart Sheeran, the cruise guy from cruiseguy.com. Hey, Stuart. Good, bud. Now, do the various lawsuits being filed against the CDC actually have merit, or are they more about just applying pressure in this public arena? Oh, I, I think a lot of it is is a lot of pressure, Doug. There's, there's a lot mounting uh, for the past month, which is great. The industry has been mostly silent. But uh, you, the, the industry is not getting any um, attention from the CDC, and the states are essentially losing a tremendous amount of money 
and there are um, a lot of people that have been uh, unemployed as a result of this. So, you know, the science just isn't really supporting the current positions, and so we're so people are desperate. So these are desperate pleas for attention to get the CDC to actually engage with the industry so that a sound, safe platform can be uh, agreed upon by both groups and so we can you know, get the industry moving forward. Yeah, because the court systems aren't particularly known for moving at lightning speed here. So is there a danger that by dragging the CDC to court, it could actually slow things down? No, it, it actually could speed it up because it's just creating a lot of attention and lots of states are looking at it. Florida started it. You saw Alaska join it. Uh, others are, are in other considera- in various stages of, of consideration. And uh, on Thursday, uh, April 22nd, uh, Florida's Attorneys General uh, filed a 27-page motion uh, seeking injunctive relief um, in, you know, at, the, at the federal level to immediately rescind the CDC's conditional sale order so that the cruise lines can actually begin to prepare to uh, sail which uh, their their target right now would be July, but a lot of this, what they're doing is they're just creating attention. Um, we, there's you know there's actually bills by the House and the Senate um, in, in Washington D.C. right now, and uh, on top of the lawsuits, uh, so it's all a combination of a lot of efforts to get the CDC to get with the cruise industry to get them to work together. Okay, so let's go a step further. Lawsuits have been filed, legislation it has been introduced in D.C., but has there been any signs that these actions are actually having an impact? I mean, has the CDC responded to any of this? This? Well, I mean, they, they came out with, if you recall, they came out with something a couple of weeks ago, which looked like uh, they probably had it sitting in a drawer since November because it was largely outdated. You may recall uh, you know, a couple of the provisions, one of which um, was that uh, they didn't want the jetways of the ships being used without a 12-hour break. And the second thing was that uh, they wanted to quarantine passengers and ships for up to two weeks, which completely contradicts what's currently going on. I mean, you see the, the airlines using their jetways uh, daily with multiple airplanes and thousands of people. Uh, so are jetways any different and and then they got slapped uh, with that uh, objection, and that uh, essentially was quietly um, removed um, the very next day, which was a Saturday. And then you know the the thing with the uh, the quarantining. I mean, they just said that uh, that if you know pe- you know people are va- fully vaccinated, that there was no reason to quarantine. So that would contradict their requirement or demand for the ships to have the you know be um, quarantined and or passengers for up to two weeks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's it, just a lot of that going on. And that's why I said it, that it appeared that they pulled this out of a drawer, but, you know, from November just to have something to say. And it was largely nonsensical. So to play devil's advocate here and present both sides, what do you say to those who oppose the industry reopening, saying that cruise ships are being held to a different standard because they are, in essence, a completely different playing field? That, you know, that opening a floating city is not the same thing as opening a restaurant or holding a concert where people will only be gathered for a few hours to meet. Okay, but what about hotels? Now, what what the industry wants to do, and they've been very specific about this, is the the CDC recommended – that the passengers and crew be vaccinated, but largely at this point, the cruise lines want to have their ships, want to have passengers 
and crews vaccinated. Um, in fact, they want to require it. So they're, they're going one step forward. Now, obviously, there's some uh, resistance to having passengers uh, being required to be vaccinated. But what the cruise lines don't want to do, if we remember uh, the, the Wind Resort out in Vegas, where they had, what, 600 uh, people uh, with, with coronavirus, mm-hmm. and a lot of people that may be even listening to your, your podcast right now are scratching their heads. Well, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, well, there, but there were, and there was 26 people down in, in Grenada at a Sandals resort that, uh, that had COVID, but it wasn't very you know, widespread, um, didn't receive very widespread coverage. But one passenger on one cruise ship becomes an international incident. And so in order to do everything they can and maximize the protection of the passengers, the crew, and the places they visit, they want to be able to utilize every conceivable option, which includes vaccinating um, the, or requiring that passengers are vaccinated um, as well as the crew, because they just don't want to take any chances. Now, two months ago, when you know we talked about this subject, we had so f- you know few people that were vaccinated, and the outlook for future vaccinations didn't seem very good. That we thought it would be crazy to make those kinds of requirements. But, you know, based on here we are two, you know, two months later, um, the world is a very different place and enough people are vaccinated to be able to fill these ships uh, at reduced capacities. So it's, it, is, it is a conceivable uh, option to have the ships, uh, you know, rec- making those kinds of requirements. And why wouldn't we want to uh, be able to enjoy, you know, our, our vacations, um, you know, with, with maximum, you know, uh, protection requirements? It certainly makes sense to engage in in all the possible um, you know manners to to protect people. Okay, so how do you see this ultimately playing out? Well, I, I think eventually, I mean, you know, the two sides are going to have to come together. I mean, you have to think that the the Biden administration would be saying, "Guys, I mean, you know, there there are there are two sides. There's really not a whole lot of you know, there's really not a whole lot of reason to." be holding the cruise industry out considering uh, the science does support, you know, a lot of what they're, they're saying. So, you know, is there a middle ground, but why don't you guys just talk? And, and I know that individually certain cruise lines are having discussions, but as an industry, they both need to get, you know, come to the table and discuss this because, you know, you have airlines that were never stopped from flying and they're the ones that essentially that were, you know, the large, um, you know, transporta- largest transportation source for COVID around the world. But, you know, they've done a great job, you know, doing what they can to minimize the, the exposure. But, you know, the airplanes, the hotels, cruise ships, they, they have to be, you know, essentially considered. But as we know, Doug, dealing with the cruise ships, over 400,000 people have taken a cruise, mm-hmm. and there have been fewer than 50 cases of COVID. Royal Caribbean, specifically out of Singapore, has had more than 100,000 passengers on Quantum of the Seas with zero cases of COVID on the ship. Yeah. So they, they are doing something right. And it, you know it's being done in Europe, it's being done in Asia and the South Pacific, and there's no reason at this time, based on what we know, that cruising can't be uh, reintroduced or resumed service out of U.S. ports. Best guess, when do ships sail out of U.S. ports? Well, if we go back to what I was saying in November, the best case scenario, you know, with, with the cow jumping over the moon and the planets aligning, I was, uh, I was uh, forecasting July. 
I still think July is possible, which is coincidentally what everyone, a lot of people are talking about now. It will take 90 days for cruise lines to be able to begin to, you know, from the time it, it, you know, the, to bring in the crews to do the quarantines and, uh, and, and the retraining. But, you know, here we're talking about it's going to be a very slow resumption. I mean, it'll be a couple of ships from three to four cruise lines. And, you know, the question will be is, you know, will we have to do those test cruises or can we, you know, begin to resume operations uh, of, of normal itineraries with normal passengers? So, but I, I'm, th- I'm, still, I'm still thinking that based on the momentum that is going on that we could see realistically, you know, operations resuming in July. We have one listener question here from Mike before you go, Stuart. He says, I'm not sure if this information is easy to find, but I was curious to know whether Royal Caribbean is actually making money from those reduced sailings on Quantum of the Seas or if they are mostly an experiment on the healthy sail. Well, it's a great question. And um, Royal Caribbean is certainly not making money. But what they're trying to do is learn from their experiences out there so that the information could be shared with themselves, their, their other companies and other cruise lines. It's, it's very important to have something ongoing and not something that's hypothetical. We know that the laboratory scenarios and the real-life scenarios are two distinctly different worlds. And we, we see that the cruise industry continues to uh, do a whole lot better in every scenario with every situation than what would occur in, inside of a lab. So you know, at least they've got one of their ships operating and operating successfully, and it certainly provides uh, groundwork, framework, for their other ships and for other cruise lines to begin to resume operations. But in no way are they making any money by this. Very good point. Mike, I hope that answered your question for you, bud. We've been talking with Stuart Chiron from CruiseGuy.com. Follow him on Twitter at CruiseGuy. Stuart, thanks for stopping by and unpacking this information for us tonight. I appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.